There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL draft this year. My name is Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Greg Horbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, which is, yeah, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, which includes which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are bad, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. That is the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. It's the Full Go, presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere, check it. Not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer. A Spotify original. Yeah. This is a pretty jam-packed sports weekend for the Chicago sports fan. Welcome on in. This is episode 356. Am I correct? No, episode 357. Oh, episode 357 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, presented to you by the good folks at FanDuel Sportsbook, brought to you by The Ringer, and of course, Spotify is the gang. I am surrounded by uh, some some talented uh, gentlemen, just some dudes who bring the kind of energy that is needed to a podcast. When I look into my laptop that is now, what, seven years old, that is going to die on me at any moment here, if not in this pod, in the next couple of pods. But when I look into my laptop and I see on this screen, and the only way that that we communicate these days (laughs) as friends, family, and loved ones, I see the exceptional one, Kyle Williams. I see the chief vibes officer himself, Chris Sutton. And of course, the dad, the myth, the legend, Tony Gill. I am Jason Goff, and we got a lot of stuff to get into. This was, like I mentioned, there, there were some things that happened over the last 96 hours or so since we last potted uh, on the Chicago sports scene, a big night at the United Center, and we'll get into that with Chicago Tribune's very own Phil Thompson, because if we are talking hockey, we we damn sure going to talk with our guy Phil. Uh, but before we get to that, hey, y'all, <laughs> hey, 
I know why you're here, some of you, because I see what happens on the internet as well. Uh, we're going to talk about Cam Newton, okay? We're, we're, we're going to talk about the superhero that Cam Newton is and how he solidified that superhero status, apparently at a seven on seven camp that he was holding where <clears throat> unbeknownst to me still in this day and age with all the internet resources we have, y'all are still out here trying to fight professional athletes. <laughs> I just don't get it. I don't understand. I will never understand the the the, the confidence. Uh, you know, I always say never, never, un- well, never overestimate or underestimate. I should say the confidence of an average man. But boy, the confidence of an average man when he is in the uh, the proximity of a more superiorly gifted, physically man. Oh my God, that confidence goes through the roof. What Cam Newton did to three or four young men and what those three or four young men chose to do after that, we'll get into that. But like I said, big night at the UC. Let's start right there. Phil Thompson from the Chicago Tribune. He uh, he covers everything, but he is also one of the guys that we go to when it comes to this hockey thing. Uh, Phil, seemingly over the last couple of years, there haven't been a lot of big nights at the UC, uh, whether it be about the Bulls or about the Blackhawks. The winter tenants have, uh, have not had a lot to celebrate as of late. So when you get a night that you can celebrate something, and the the events come together, the circumstances present themselves where what I think Chris Chelios stamped and what people have thought now for maybe a couple of years is the greatest American-born hockey player in Patrick Kane, arguably coming back as a Detroit Red Wing on Chicago Blackhawk home ice. Chris Chelios is number seven being retired. Um, There's a lot of special nights. And even when we were promoting it at NBC Sports Chicago you read the words and you're like oh it's another it's another jersey retirement and those have become kind of blase unfortunately not for the recipients not for the families but they seem like they've become run-of-the-mill they haven't been as sensational as you expect those things to be but when you talk about Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky being in attendance, when, when you are, are mentioning some pop icons from the 80s and the 90s, like Cindy Crawford being in attendance, like this, this wasn't just some normal night at the UC. No, not not at all. It, it felt like a playoff atmosphere. And, and like you said, uh, you know, you, you think about, some of the names that he he could draw. I mean, he had Eddie Vedder there, Wayne Gretzky sitting next to Mark Messier. Uh, you know, like he mentioned, uh, Cindy Crawford, Dennis Rodman was there. So, uh, you know, Chelios. I mean, that that guy's got a roster in, in terms of friends, and you know, it it was not your garden variety uh, jersey retirement. So. Set the scene for me. Um, Eddie Vedder announces at the concert that, well, I guess notifies Chris Chelios that his number was getting retired. Like, run it down to me, the, the sequence of events. Because, you know, for me as a kid, Chris Chelios meant something because that was a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That was a team where, you know, coming up in the early 90s, late 80s, all you talked, well, early 90s especially, all you talked about was Jeremy Roenick 
you know, uh, alongside Michael Jordan, alongside, you know, Bears stars, like hockey was not just for the the garage niche sport kind of clandestine category that we we threw it in before the the tens came around and championships were won. Stanley Cups were won. But the Michelle Goulet's, the Steve Larmers and Jeremy Roenick and Chris Chelios were at the forefront of that group, that generation, that era. And then he goes to Detroit. He gets traded to Detroit. He becomes one of the bad guys. But the amount of time that he spent not being a Blackhawk, it was so long that I think even for certain generations currently, you forget what Chris Chelios was to this team and this organization. Well, you've given me a, a lot to unpack there. So let me uh, start with the most recent thing, Jason, uh, when you mentioned the, the whole Detroit thing. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it was something that I asked uh, Chelios when he had a press conference just with the reporters after his speech. Uh, so I said, you know, how did you reconcile, like, you know, for a while, you know, the Chicago fans weren't feeling you, the Detroit fans weren't feeling you, but, you know, yeah. in retrospect now, they both love you. They both want to claim you. And he said, man, you know, when I went to Detroit, I wasn't accepted. Uh, they hated me there. And then the, the, uh, the Chicago fans hated me for going there. And I thought to myself, where am I going to live? <laughs> so that was a funny uh, moment where he just kind of acknowledged, but he's, you know, everybody loves him now. Uh, you know, going back to how he found out, he also addressed that during his speech where he was at a September concert at the UC, uh, watching his favorite band Pearl Jam. And he had him on, uh, Eddie Vedder had him on stage. And Chelio said that he was nervous. Uh, he just kept trying to get off. And uh, Vedder said, look at the monitor, look at the monitor. And he's like, oh, that's nice. They're playing some of my highlights. And Chelio said, okay. I'm a knucklehead. It wasn't until they uh, revealed the banner that he got the hint that his uh, jersey was going to be retired, and this was the big reveal. So it, it didn't dawn on him right away, but he loved uh, that experience. The dedication and then the speech, uh, thanking his family. Of course, you get a chance to we get a chance to work with Kaylee uh, at NBC Sports Chicago. And she's ready to have the baby any day now. So Chris is getting ready to be a grandfather again. Um, all those things. And then the game. Then the game. Uh, I enjoyed not only the game. The, the game was entertaining. But, you know, you, you see Connor Bedard checking Patrick Kane. And it's like one of those baton passing kind of moments. Not that Patrick wanted to pass a baton in, in the form of getting checked into the boards. But, yes. um the, the the Patrick Kane return, right? He's been a Ranger, right? Now he's a Red Wing, and it's at the end of his career. Uh, how reflective was he not only before the game, but also, you know, now that you can zoom out from the significance of Patrick Kane to this city and having it be on a night like this, honoring another great Chicago Blackhawk that didn't win a championship for the city. Like, how do you juxtapose not only those two careers, but the two moments that occurred simultaneously tonight? Well, there were a lot of things that Kane was kind of ruminating on. You know, he talked about how he was, you know, coming into the city, seeing the skyline again, and that's when things kind of hit him. Like, uh, you know, those kind of emotions that um, I'm back, you know, and then being in a different locker room, 
just experiencing the United Center as a visitor, um, you know, it was just different. He said it was weird. It was just different. But obviously, he loved how things ended. He loved that uh, Brinkett had a part in that, you know, his uh, ex-line mate with Chicago now reunited in Detroit. And, you know, he had an appreciation for Bedard, you know, called him a creative player and, you know, just a worthy successor uh, and acknowledge that they're starting their own thing and, and advise giving Bedard space and those young guys space to not live in his shadow. Uh, one funny thing he said, though, is, uh, you know, he, he acknowledged that Bedard got him good on that check. And if he wasn't wearing that that bubble over his face, he was going to go after him. <laughs> there <laughs> so you go. Bedard, there you, you go. get a pass this time. <laughs> right, right. That's your ass next time, though. Don't don't, don't do it again. Huh? And, <laughs> and by that, I mean do it every time you see him. Do it every time <laughs> yeah. you see him. Uh, lastly, you mentioned Connor Bedard. He was high, hot as a firecracker before he broke his jaw, goes on the shelf. He is now returned. Uh, what's important to wrap up his rookie season? Because, you know, youngest all-star, I mean, he, he's got the personal accolades and he's also got the uh, the, the jaw-dropping talent, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> what's important here down the stretch to wrap up the season? I think, you know, he has to continue to find ways to, to lead on and off the ice. And I think he does that, you know, he practices a long time. And a lot of those guys practice with him now. He has to find a balance so he doesn't burn himself out and burn those guys out. Because, you know, after a while, you know, people might start to resent him that, you know, it's kind of a pressure that, uh, well, Bedard's staying on the ice. I have to stay on the ice too so I don't look like I'm slacking. But, you know, veterans have said he'll learn. He'll learn that uh, he has to find that kind of balance. Um, and then just learning aspects of the game, you know, there, there's sometimes where, you know, just to kind of put it simply, he goes for it on offense and then pays for it on defense. And, you know, they don't ride him too hard about it. They just gently say, Hey, you know, this is a learning season for him, but, um, this is what you could have done here. And he knows, you know, he's acknowledged in the past, uh, some cases where, you know, he should have made the safer play or, you know, he should have taken the shot here and then passed there and vice versa. Uh, I don't think he has to achieve any particular thing with the rest of this season. He just has to continue to learn the, the nuances of the game and get new experiences, uh, you know, playing against Sidney Crosby twice as childhood idol, playing, uh, you know, tough team like the Carolina Hurricanes and the physical team like the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, he's got to go through all the different types of experiences that the NHL has to offer. Phil, thank you so much as always, man. And I appreciate you. Uh, looking forward to hanging out with you, you know, here soon, maybe this summer. And of course, NABJ is going to be uh, in uh, in Chicago yeah, this year. That's so, right. You know, all drinks are on Phil Thompson, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this this is a national podcast. People out there, there's a lot of brothers and sisters who listen to it. If you're running the field during the Chicago NABJ convention, just know that he's buying. Okay. And, all right. And, all if, right. and if you and if you want to know what Phil looks like, he is a six foot two bald black man that sounds like me. So. So, you know, anytime you see me, make sure that you know I'm Phil Thompson and uh, I'm buying. All right, Phil, thank you, man. I appreciate you, brother.
Oh, always great. Thank you, uh, Jason. Thanks for having me yes, on. Yes, sir. Bill Thompson right here on the Full Go Podcast. We'll be back with more of the Full Go with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. College basketball season is heating up, and FanDuel wants you to join in on the action. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 bet wins. That's $150 extra bucks to bet anything from point spreads to money lines to who's going to win it all. As it stands right now, April 8th, 5 o'clock Central, that will be the tip-off for the national championship game. I have for you the team that will win the national championship And if they don't, I will deny that I ever gave you this bet. But what I'm liking right now, ladies and gentlemen, plus 700, the Houston Cougars. Telling y'all right now, that defense is unmatched from what I've seen over the last couple of weeks and trying to survey the landscape of college basketball. Defense is unmatched. They've got a couple of professional wings, I think, on that team. Offensively, they, they leave a little bit to be desired can shoot a little bit better, but a team that plays defense like that, as we saw last year, they can make it all the way to the championship game and win that thing. So plus 700, I think, is a fun number to sit on. If you're a Houston fan or you just want a team to ride with, if you don't know a lot about college basketball and just dipping your toe in the water shortly before the tournament, I think this Houston Cougars pick for national men's basketball champion at plus 700 might be just for you, and you're welcome from the Casual Betting Brothers. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com slash FullGo. That's FanDuel.com slash F-U-L-L-G-O and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven Seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. I, I tell you, I can't help but get back to golf. What, I mean, what did we say before the lights came on about Cody? Like, the deal is underwhelming, right? So, you got two player options in the first two years of the deal. 20 some odd million dollars. He went out there and raked, did what he had to do, got hurt, came back, showed his value even more. I think I think this is one of those situations where <laughs> you've got two entities that are like, hey, you need me more than I need you. <laughs> Both of them doing a the Spider-Man meme, looking at each other, and you've been dancing with this person, and now, you know, everybody done broke up for the summer or, well, heading into the summer, and nobody's been calling either one. <laughs> Nobody put it out there that anybody was available. <laughs> the Cubs weren't sitting there saying, hey, by the way, uh, center field and first base is available on this team. If you if you if if you're looking, right? They, they knew. I mean, we knew that, that Cody Bellinger was going to be a Chicago Cub. It was just for which dollar amount, and especially when you got down to the end of the 
not just the end of the off season, but the beginning of spring training. Now, I mean, money is dried up. So I hope Scott Boris is able to put this client out there. Like we always treat Scott Boris, by the way, like Darth Vader, like, Oh, he always, he always gets what he wants. Um, you know, I'm sure there are some clients that have been less than happy with taking certain things as a Scott Boris age, uh, Scott Boris client, I should say. I'm not saying that Cody Bellinger feels that way, but the numbers that were being thrown around while Cody Bellinger was on his tear last year, where we were talking about 200 million this and like big old numbers, you know, not, not Shohei, obviously not Manny Machado, not, you know, Xander Bogarts, not, not any of the money that San Diego spent. Like we talked about before the lights came on and I hope you guys get a chance to hear that's if Kyle is, you know, it just depends on how much blood we want in Kyle's urine. That's all it is. <laughs> like, what's going to make Kyle nervous? Because I want to tell y'all something right now. If you don't like this pod, it's because of Kyle Williams. Okay? Kyle Williams either edits in the great shit in this pod or edits out the great shit in this pod. And if this thing is a flaming, heaping dog pile of a failure at the end of it, I'm going to be like, hey, Kyle edited out all the good shit. And, and all the good shit is on the cutting room floor because Kyle was thinking about his upward advancement as a company man at the ringer. That's, that's, how, I'm a, that's what I'm going to say. I'm just going to let y'all know that now. Okay. And this probably will be edited out as well. And it will go right next to the piles of great content that we have had that we now know. And the narrative is now being spun going this day forth that Kyle Williams has taken over. Just saying, just saying. So I hope you enjoyed my Cody Bellinger take, (laughs) whatever it was just now. And just know going forward, if this podcast is fire, it's all me. It's all me. (laughs) Blood, sweat, and tears, slaving over a hot mic, not getting stats or any kind of stories or any updates or any, you know, encouragement from the production staff. And if it's horrible, if you guys are sitting here after 357 episodes, like, God damn, why do I continue to do this? Just know Kyle Williams left the best shit on the cutting room floor. Okay? Just know that. And before him, it was Chris Tannehill's fault and Jesse Lopez's fault. <laughs> and, and then Tony got a chance. But, you know, Tony always escapes real consequences. Right? Tony's, Tony's always the dude that's calling you about the bank robbery that y'all did together. <laughs> like, hey, man, you good in there? <laughs> like, some way, somehow. <laughs> Tony, Tony, is, Tony, is, uh, Tony is management. Let's just put it like that. Tony is managing, right? <laughs> and me and Chris Sutton are just, you know, out here vibing. But like I said, if you like the pod, you know, you're welcome. You know, this is what I do. If you don't like the pod, blame Kyle Williams. In fact, if Kyle had any balls, that would be the name of the pod for this episode. But again, <laughs> since he doesn't, none of this is going to be in the pod. Bulls talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Flies in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. So the news dropped this weekend that Patrick Williams will have to have season-ending surgery on his left foot, the bone edema, and all the complications that go along with that. Listen, I'm going to tell y'all something right now. There have been many a Bulls prospect that I have had a chance to either cover 
be around or just watch as a fan and an observer. Uh, I remember the first time I was going up to the Berto Center semi-regularly was when Jamal Crawford was drafted. Um, and he had the smooth, uh, was it the, uh, the S 500 bins and he changed the, he changed the tags on the back of the, you know, the metal name plates to JC 500. I thought it was the coolest shit. And we were the same age. So I'm like, Hey, look at me, uh, you know, spending all my little gas money to come up here <laughs> to Deerfield while this 20 year old has a <laughs> $127,000 car, you know, look at, look at, Look at how things turn when you got talent, you know, but, but shout out to them. I was never a pocket watcher. I always celebrated. Actually, Jamal uh, ended up being super cool when I was in Atlanta uh, after a, a game between the Clippers and the Hawks. He uh, came up to the broadcast booth and kind of just hung out and talked some shit with me for a couple of minutes. So Jamal's always been super dope and he'll always be a dude that when I see him or when I think about his career, I'm like, oh, my career kind of started you know, parallel or around the same time as his. So that's when I started going up there and I've seen many a thing happen in a bull's uniform, uh, was around and covered and observed and knew some of the people who was riding with Jay Williams, uh, during the Jay Williams, uh, accident and era and generation of bulls basketball. Um, you know, the, the baby bulls era with Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, and going up there and <laughs> watching Bill Winnington and Bill Cartwright kind of have to shepherd those two big men along. And one ended up being a defensive player of the year and champion in Tyson Chandler. Uh, and Eddie Curry ended up making a lot of money with the Knicks and never quite fulfilled his potential, but also is very introspective and very forthright and very, um, very emotionally attuned to what, and how his career went and some of the, the pitfalls. Um, NBA I, champion. I, yeah, and NBA champion. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, and and anytime I was, you know, around or um, interacted with Eddie, he was always cool with me. So uh, I never really had any bad things to say about Eddie other than the fact that you saw that talent and you saw that just, I mean, you know, Shaq was still a thing. So you saw that coming out of throwing where you're like, oh, listen, <laughs> those hands, those feet, it's just, you know, the work ethic and a lot of other things thrown in the mix, getting getting that kind of uh, pressure that young in your hometown city. Just, I mean, Derrick Rose is a basketball robot and we saw how some of the pressures, um, how he succumbed to some pressures, not all or not even close to as many, but, you know, that, that being different for that kind of guy as opposed to what Eddie had to go through. So I say that to say I've covered a lot of different Bulls teams, been around a lot of different Bulls prospects. Hell, Ben Gordon, right? Ben Gordon famously, um, you know, Scott Skiles in the workout and Ben Gordon, you know, getting sick. And Scott Skiles coming into the room while, you know, the, the ambulance and everybody's coming to check on Ben because he had food poisoning and saying, hey, that's my first round pick right there. Like Scott was a hard motherfucker, boy. Scott, Scott was <laughs> Scott was that dude, though. I remember him saying about Eddie Curry famously, you know, what does Eddie have to do to get more rebounds? And and Scott just looked in the camera and said, jump. So. You know, that just lets you know the tenor of things during that time. Covered all, all those guys. Kirk Heinrich. Hell, covered Kirk when he was at Kansas, when I actually went to that Final Four that he was a part of. Uh, him and Nick Collison in Kansas that made it, what is it, Kansas, Texas, Marquette, and Syracuse, the one that Mello won, 
if I'm not mistaken, in New Orleans. So yeah, covered Kirk through college. And then when he became a bull, uh, was there that draft night when a lot of people in that in that area thought that Dwayne Wade was getting ready to be a Chicago Bull. And all of a sudden, Pat Riley was like, you know what? I know I got a lot of guards, but I'm going to mess around and draft this kid with big hands, big feet, damn good athlete out of Marquette who put that school on his back and took him to a Final Four. And the rest is history. He drafted a top five, top six shooting guard of all time. Bulls ended up with Kirk Heinrich. But I say that to say, Covered a lot of these dudes, been around a lot of different prospects. When the draft rolled around a few years ago, and we saw all the prospects, and we we start, you know, as we are apt to do in drafts, right? We we look at them and go, okay, who's the number one pick? Who's going to be the best player? Yada yada yada. What's going to happen here? And I believe it was the twenty, it was the twenty twenty draft, right? If I'm not mistaken, was it the 2020 draft? Yeah, because it was Ant at the top of that 2020 draft. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it was Anthony Edwards at the top of the 2020 draft. So, so watching and watching Anthony Edwards stuff, I was just like, hey, either this dude is really, really good and just bored as hell in the SEC and on that Georgia team, because you see some shots and you're like, yo, he just doesn't give a damn about the game right now. He's just out there having a good time, which we saw that. You know, that was actually the case. He's that dude. And then James Wiseman. Everybody in their mama couldn't wait to tell me that James Wiseman was the next David Robinson. He was the next Dwight Howard because he was a big man. He was agile. And of course, Penny Hardaway was putting something together in Memphis. We saw what James Wiseman went through in terms of his NCAA eligibility. Didn't get a chance to see him play a whole lot of basketball. But when you have a seven-footer who can move like that, who seemingly wasn't as scared to attack the rim uh, the way he was doing in high school, you draft that kind of size, you draft that kind of strength, you draft that kind of agility. Then you get to the LaMelo ball part of the equation where a lot of people, including myself, was like, man, this might be the best dude in the draft. He might be the one. But you also understood that LaMelo ball was going to take up a lot of air in an organization. So when that Golden State thing started, you know, being thought about, where it's like, oh, do you draft James Wiseman or do you draft the successors to Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green? All right, do you you put that guy with, at that time, what would be a Jordan Poole and say, here's our backcourt of the future, rolling rebuild while we're still competing for championships. It's kind of the mellow conversation that the Pistons had to have back in the day where you take Darko Milicic because you just got way too many dudes on a team and how's the guy going to develop? Where's he going to get his minutes? He's not going to play in front of this guy. He's not going to play in front of that guy. Well, I would have thought that Carmelo Anthony would have played in front of anybody because he was fucking Carmelo Anthony. Still one of my favorite players of all time and will never change it because Melo was that dude. Like not everybody can be a champion. Not everybody has the stuff that you need. You know, we, we got to this point where we stopped appreciating the art and the poetry of games, right? There's certain games you knew wasn't going to win shit in the 80s and 90s, but y'all sat there and watched them. But because Michael Jordan came along, won six championships, never lost one, it was like, hey, if you're not winning the championship, I can't appreciate your game. Like, that's where our conversation as NBA fans devolved to at post-Jordan. So you couldn't, you couldn't just appreciate a Mitch Richmond or a Glenn Rice's career. Nah, fuck that. 
not me. I love Melo's game, even if it wasn't a championship game. But you see this draft and you go James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball. Those are the top three guys. And Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball. And then it got fun for me as an NBA fan and as a casual college basketball observer at the time. Who was going to be the next player? Who was going to be the guy outside of the obvious top three because the Bulls had themselves, we didn't know at the time, but they got themselves a fourth pick. Now, there was thoughts that the Bulls might have somewhere around the sixth pick because if the lottery balls fell the way the odds were supposed to, they would be somewhere around that sixth or seventh pick where Killian Hayes' name had been discussed. And that's right, Killian Hayes, arguably the worst player in the NBA, right? for the time that he was in the league and then, you know, got relegated and, you know, the Pistons have moved on seemingly from that whole Killian Hayes experiment. But Denny Avdia, who has had himself an okay NBA career, but hasn't really done a whole bunch of moving and shaking. And Obi Toppin, who just seemed like a bull to be, right? Just big college career at a small school dunking on a bunch of people that look like me, Chris and, and Tony and Kyle, like it, it, it just seemed like it was tailor made for what the bulls had represented for a while. You know, like the Tyrus Thomas draft year from years ago where big school had a nice run in the tournament might be a project, but he's athletic. So you can teach that. Turns out Tyrus Thomas didn't fulfill some of those wishes and those expectations. LaMarcus Aldridge turned out to be a damn near Hall of Fame level player. You know, the rest is history, right? I mean, we could do this for days with Bulls picks. You know, like when Derrick Rose was like, hey, y'all, don't draft Marcus Teague. And the Bulls were like, mm-mm, can't trust the guy who's been practicing against him <laughs> when when Cal has those runs in Kentucky. Mm-mm. No, he's he, – the the future MVP is just scared of his job. Is that what it is? He was, he was scared Marcus was coming to take his gig? And then you pass up on Draymond Green because of that when reportedly the coach wanted to draft Draymond Green. Like those things. We've been around those things. So we know draft agony. We know uh, scouting agony. We know people falling below expectations and then thriving elsewhere. We know it. We've seen it. Hell, we're watching it right now with Lowry Marketing. But in this draft, I said to myself, after one night of pouring over YouTube tape after YouTube tape after YouTube tape, hey, y'all. Zach Levine, don't know what kind of defender he's going to be, right? DeMar wasn't here yet. Lonzo Ball hadn't been drafted. I mean, uh, traded for or acquired yet. And I said, hey, there's a kid that is playing in Ames, Iowa, who's got a herky-jerky game, whose jump shot looks a little fluky, but he can repeat it. He can replicate the motion. And we've seen it before with Reggie Miller. It doesn't have to be pretty, but if you can repeat it and get it off fast and it's effective, you don't have to tinker with it. That dude's name was Tyrese Halliburton. And I said it the night that I watched the tape. I said it the next day on the Bulls draft preview. And then we find out the Bulls get the fourth pick. So is that too high for Tyrese Halliburton? 
those conversations started to happen and obviously the rest of the NBA thought so as well because Tyrese Halliburton didn't go until the 12th pick where he was drafted by didn't didn't Tyrese Halliburton as a Sacramento Kings seem like so long ago by the way it's only a couple of years ago it seems like so long ago that he was like you know toiling behind De'Aaron Fox <laughs> right they, they go out and get Davion Mitchell uh, Davion Mitchell from Baylor as the defensive guard You're like wait a minute they, they got one too many guards then they go out and get Demontis Sabonis because they had Tyrese Halliburton. But I thought that put Tyrese Halliburton next to Zach Levine, you have your iteration of the Splash Brothers for the next 10, 12 years. You run around and cause some havoc in the Eastern Conference. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They drafted Patrick Williams, who had the dimensions of, at that time, and what I thought was a young Kawhi Leonard in terms of physicality. Big old hands can move gracefully for six foot eight, 230 pounds. Of course, having the quiet disposition didn't hurt in completing the unnecessary, uh, you know, uh, comparison and metaphor of this being baby Kawhi. So coming out of those expectations, he had a lot on his plate, but it being a three man draft and that being the next guy taken and the first pick by Arturis Karnaschovas and, of course, Mark Eversley, it was the first time that they had said to Bulls fans, this is how we feel about the future with a draft. You can trade for Nikola Vucevic. You can do whatever you need to do to take down a team. But they came and sold themselves on drafting and development. So when you trade for Nikola Vucevic off the rip, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You've already shown me that you're going against a plan that you were telling me that you were going to execute. So now it puts even more pressure on that pick. Because now this has to be you showing me, okay, the development part might be out the window because Wendell Carter Jr. and a bunch of players that maybe should be playing for the Bulls are not playing for the Orlando Magic. It even puts more pressure on the success of Patrick Williams being vital to this team. And for the last four years, y'all, you've heard the conversation. It's all been from a rooting place because of how good a kid Patrick Williams is seemingly and the way he's gone about his business, whether there have been ups or downs, has been steady. But let's face it, the expectations that were had for Patrick Williams, if they were outsized, that's on us. But as we began to recalibrate our expectations and watching him, okay, it turned from this guy can score 15, 16 a game to, man, It'd be nice if he just got into double digits often enough. It'd be nice if he got more than three or four rebounds. It'd be nice if I didn't uh, forget that he was on the court, especially with that kind of physical presence. Then he plays all 82 games last year. The year before that has the wrist injury that shortens his season. He has had a herky-jerky, rhythmless, not only career so far, but his game kind of embodies that as well. When Patrick Williams is going hard and he, when he's aggressive, it seems as if he has been reminded he has to be. When he falls back into the scenery, it is maddening because of how much room he actually takes up on the court. So for him to have this complication and for him to play through some injuries this year and try to get back on the court because he knows that this is a contractual year, like this is this is this time to go get your money, and you've already told them, no, we ain't we ain't taking that Jimmy Butler deal. <laughs> We've seen it work out for him, and we gonna we gonna bet on ourselves. Now, fast forward 
post all-star break. The man is now having left foot surgery and will be out for the rest of the year. Got to be honest with you. The evaluation is not as incomplete as we'd like to think it is. I think we know what Patrick Williams is. He's an above average player who can be a good player if he affects the game defensively, but he's never going to be the scorer that we thought that that body and that kind of ball handling and just raw skill base and skill level. Like he's got a pretty shot. He's got a nice shot. He can handle the ball. Right, defensively, I mean, you've had Giannis and LeBron, and people refer to him as a, a very, very tough defender. So he's got all these tangible skills and all these things that are you, you would think are building blocks, but at every turn, you know, my kid has a Spider-Man game on the PS5, and it's not just flying through the air, right? It's not just, and it's a beautiful game. Both of them, by the way, the Miles Morales joint and Spider-Man 2. Beautiful, beautiful games just to watch and play it. But you can fly through the air. You can beat up the opponent. You know, you can beat up the enemies. You can crack the codes. But there are certain parts of the game where you have to put a puzzle together. And you have to connect energy streams. And you have to make sure that things are aligned properly so that you can turn on certain things in the game. And for whatever reason... For the last four years of Patrick Williams' career, all the things that we have seen, the energy streams just don't connect. There is no connection to, man, he is aggressive tonight. Ooh-wee, and he shut this dude down. And on top of it, at the end of the game, he did not have to be subbed. How many times have we seen Patrick Williams in a closing lineup in his four years in the NBA on an average team? Like, there's no way he shouldn't be closing games on this team. This ain't no championship contender. But Billy Donovan has found it in his rotation that to win games, more times than not, the answer was to have Patrick Williams on the bench and Alex Caruso out there, right? I mean, there was Derek Jones Jr. was playing the four. Javante Green was getting minutes at the four. So... In no way am I trying to kick the man while he's down. This is a tough time for him. I think this is going to be a one-year qualifying offer kind of situation where it's like, hey, I'm going to prove myself. The Bulls going to go tell him, hey, go find out what your worth is. And he's going to find out that it's not as much as he probably intended it to be or hoped it would be. Take that qualifying offer. Go back to the lab. Get that shot off a lot quicker, especially from range, right? Because all the skill stuff, you you watch Patrick Williams in some of these summer leagues, uh, summer open runs, that dude moves like a dominant player out there with some really good players at times. So, like I said, the energy streams just have to connect, whether that be a coach that can light a fire under them, whether that be a player that he genuinely doesn't like and revere. Because maybe sometimes that's it as well. Like he, There's a lot of respect in that locker room. There's a lot of guys who love and, and enjoy playing with each other. That's why DeMar DeRozan, I think the Bulls would rather him be a Bull for the rest of his life, no matter what the win totals are, because of what he brings to the locker room. And there is a value to that, right? But to what cost, right? Like what are you sacrificing when that guy is still on your is still in your locker room in terms of in-game situations, but everybody in that locker room loves each other. Maybe just maybe Patrick Williams needs to be around some discomfort. 
Man, we've been talking. Thad Young was a bull and said that Patrick, he was telling Patrick Williams that nobody should eat before you. And there's a reason why this team had the fourth pick in the draft and made you the fourth pick in the draft. Good teams don't have the fourth pick in the draft. So not enough good players are on this team for you to eat behind. And that was his rookie year. So like I said, unless these energy streams connect, not only in this year coming, but whatever the future looks like, Patrick Williams will go down and make a ton of money, right? Like, I think Patrick Williams is going to make well over 100 some odd, 20, 120, 130 million dollars in his NBA career. I think Patrick Williams is going to play in the league for 12, 13, 14 years. Patrick Williams might even be a champion. Patrick Williams might mess around and find his way on somebody's roster in his seventh, eighth, ninth year and be somebody's rotational guy like a Jeff Green or something of that nature. But for what it's worth, the recalibration of the expectations that have happened year after year after year and now that have to happen again after this year is not going the way that we anticipated when it came to Patrick Williams and what we thought, what we thought he could be. So now with a season-ending surgery and another bull that's on the mend, you've got a team that is part and parcel just scrap work right now like they got a bunch of young dudes and a bunch of guys who don't fit together playing on the floor with each other like for instance the new orleans pelicans should be ashamed if they lost this game at home while the western conference four through eight mix you lose a game in the west and you in that four through eight you can mess around and be fourth one night and be eighth that night after a loss so the pelicans know how bad this loss was to the bulls they did it without Patrick Williams. They did it without Torrey Craig. They did it without Zach Levine. I don't know what the rest of the season means. But looking forward, you wish, you just hoped that you get more out of the evaluation template when it comes to Patrick Williams. And unfortunately, much like the rest of his career, it's been herky-jerky and the energy didn't get a chance to connect to the end of the season this year. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Listen, 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 listen. Ladies and gentlemen, a public service announcement to all you fools out there. I don't know why y'all keep doing it. I would advise you to stop doing it as soon as you possibly can. But for everybody out there, and this is this is for the males, right? Outside of that Dallas Mavericks fan who uh, called Kevin Durant a bitch and almost got her man beat the fuck up. <laughs> like, that was one of those moments where you're like, hey, Kevin, you ain't got to be the bigger man on this one, fam. You ain't got it. You ain't got it. Yeah, she, she had, she, you know, she had... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Big Mama just hanging there for a long time. Yeah, I called you, bitch. Give me five. <laughs> Come on, you know how you guys do. You know, it's like this. Yeah, that that shit was. Oh my god. But another public service announcement. Outside of calling, you know, grown men bitches that are six foot ten, six foot eleven, and can slap fire out of your fucking. Like, didn't didn't none of y'all saw the malice at the palace? Like, is it is that footage in black and white? <laughs> is that in microfilm? Is that at the library that you got to check it out? Is that not on YouTube? Like, why are these people continuously challenging professional athletes to combat? Why are we still doing that as a society? Don't we understand that they use muscles for the duration of their life that we will never touch? You motherfuckers go bowling and have to have Tommy John surgery, okay? 
Like, like you have, have you seen the broken and battered bodies after a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning open gym run? You motherfuckers are 30 years old, 40 years old out here You're going to, to pieces after you get a light sweat in. But you're all out here challenging professional athletes to combat? It's like once a week we see Russell Westbrook have to turn around and make somebody pee on themselves by the threat of him presenting himself physically. You know, like, y'all see Russell out there, and Russell is small compared to seven-footers, okay? Like, he's a he's a, he's a a six-foot-four lead guard. He's like, oh, that sounds cute. You know, he's not a power forward. He's not a, he's not a wingman. He's not a, he's not a center. He's not a big man. And then he walks into your Chick-fil-A and stands behind you and you ask him, hey, sir, would you like to just go ahead in front of me? <laughs> you have two and a half percent body fat. You are six foot four. And it looks like if I were to even attempt to punch you in the face, my hand would break because you have a jaw that is chiseled out of granite. Like, what are we talking about here? So if you don't know, and I'm still amassing the details, but apparently, and fill me in if I'm wrong here, gang, but apparently... There was a seven-on-seven event. There was a seven-on-seven camp. Was it now? Was it Cam's camp? Okay, now let's let's find out if it was Cam's camp because it's if it was Cam's camp, then I got a totally different you know vibe to this than if it's not his camp. But it felt like it felt like this was Cam Newton's event, right? Like. Cam Newton's not, you know, if, if Cam Newton's just showing up to people's events, like, shout out to him. I know he does a lot in the Atlanta metro area. He's a Westlake, Georgia dude. Like, Cam is royalty, okay? Don't ever get it twisted. Cam Newton is and will always be that dude. But let's start how, with, with how this information was um, bestowed upon me. Shout out to Twitter, okay? I'm on Twitter. And I just see, I think it was Philip Lewis. I just see Philip Lewis and I'm like, oh, okay. Phil's always got some wild shit going on. Anytime he tweets anything, you know, it's something that you should see, right? I'm like, oh, what is this? And then all of a sudden I see <laughs> what looks like a, a seven foot wicked witch of the West hat, like, like a dude with a hat. And I'm like, oh, immediately I'm like, oh, that's Cam. That's Cam. That's Cam with one of Cam's hats on. Even though he outside and got the camp, Cam is going to dress how Cam dresses. I'll get to that in a moment as well. You know, there's certain, there's certain indicators, right? There's certain, there's certain things that should clue you in on who not to fuck with. As I am scrolling and I see this come up on my feed, all I see is Cam Newton brawl at 7-on-7 seven seven event. So I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds crazy. One, you know, like, where is it at? Like, is it in Charlotte? Is it in Atlanta? Like, what, what's going on? I know it ain't in Boston. I know, I know his time in New England. Hey, make Cam Newton feel like he could put down roots with the Bostonians and say, hey, come on out to my seven-on-seven event. I know, I know how much my time here mattered to you here in New England. I know how much you cheered for me as a quarterback here for the New England Patriots, right? So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, yo, brawl, I, I then hit play because I have it so that it's not autoplay on my timeline because, you know, the whole, you know, last 
three years or so, four years where it's become, you know, unfortunate, you know, homicide porn on Twitter and X where you see people getting shot and things happening and you just scrolling and you're like, wait a minute, dog. Like I'd rather hit, just hit play and have the choice to watch this or not watch this. Um, so I see someone rush Cam Newton and this person obviously is noticeably smaller than Cam Newton. Right. And it made me harken back to the only time that I had been around Cam Newton in my life. And that was when I was in Atlanta and I was in Atlanta, by the way, from 2012 to 2014, I had a nighttime show there at uh, 92, nine, the game, um, it was a startup station, you know, the whole CBS brand. It was, you know, I went from Chicago to Atlanta, yada, yada, yada. One night I am in compound and we are in the back. There's a VIP section and I found my way back there because, you know, at that time I didn't know too many people in Atlanta. So, you know, I get back there to the VIP with my lady. And you remember when Charlie Murphy talked about Rick James and the first time he saw him and he, how he had like a kind of an orange glow, like an, like an aura around him. The first time I saw Cam Newton was when he walked into that club through the back way. And Cam Newton had on a white button down shirt and what seemed to be red leather pants at the time. Now, Cam Newton was all of six foot six and 240 pounds at that time. And you could just feel the energy radiate off this man. Giant man. Cam's a good looking dude. He's in amazing shape. He's rich. You feel me? You, 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 you know how you, when you look at somebody, you're like, oh, they got money. You know, you can just see it in their skin, right? You can see it and they smile. You can see it in the, the lack of stress seemingly that they may have in that moment. You're like, oh shit, that, yeah, he got money. That, that's Cam Newton. And I say all that to say this. He wasn't small then, okay? He wasn't a little man then. And I'm not a little guy, right? Like, I, I'm rarely intimidated by anybody physically, right? Like, I've been around some, some giant men in NBA locker rooms where, like, I remember the first time I was around Shaq, and I'm like, this, y'all can't, y'all can't be serious with asking people to guard this. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. I also remember the, that 2011 Eastern Conference Finals, Bulls versus uh, Heat and going into the locker room and seeing like, you know, being close to LeBron or being next to LeBron and realizing how big a man he truly is for the speed that he moves with and the agility that he has and the athleticism that he has. It's like, I've been around Carl Malone before, but Carl Malone ain't supposed to move like that. Right? Carl Malone ain't supposed to jump like that. But Cam Newton is, is a intimidating physical presence. So Let's start with the plan. And apparently this is a TSP crew and they might be, they're a sports performance training company that seemingly there was some odd words shared, right? And maybe some turf, you know, being uh, tread upon. And these gentlemen got it in their hearts to run up on Cam Newton at his seven on seven event, which always seems like a bad idea. Like, because I would, that's why I had to get clarification if this was his event or not. If it's not your event, then it then you know it's never good to run up on anybody. But it, it 
you understand it a little bit differently if it's like okay it's you and two people here your handler and your publicist we can run up on him and get the fair one and you know the fair one meaning three on one because he is a moose of a, of a human being right but it's his event you mean to tell me that you looked at your partners and was like yo cam talking shit or something went awry i think it's time for us to jump cam newton in Georgia, at his event. Now, before I get to what the man who was the first one in, what his mouth ended up looking like, before I get to that, you know, there's a story that all of you should YouTube. It's, it involves the rap group The Locks, Jada Kiss, Styles, P, and Sheik Luch, and their first interaction with Mike Tyson which was on a red carpet. Apparently Mike Tyson, they felt had disrespected Eve, one of the other members of the Rough Rider crew. And they had to huddle up because Eve was their little sister and they had to devise a plan. And you got to watch the, the story, y'all. But I'll just fast forward. They huddled up to figure out who was going to have to stab Mike Tyson because no one was going to, fight Mike Tyson one-on-one because that would be a fool's errand. So they, they volunteered Sheik Luch, who was six foot two, 230 pounds at the time, apparently, and said, hey, Sheik, you have to be the one who goes in first to occupy Mike Tyson so we can then stab him, right? Now, Sheik, during the interview, was like, I didn't know about this plan. <laughs> I just thought we were going to jump him or something had to be done, right? Like Mike was acting ornery, whatever the case may be. And Mike never confirmed nor denied this story. I've never heard him talk about it, but it's one of the funniest stories ever. I revert back to jumping Cam Newton at his seven on seven event. Let me ask y'all this. And what, who is the person who says, I'll be the first one in, <laughs> To, to have Cam Newton get his hands on me and then y'all do work. Y'all get to kicking and punching and throwing of the fists, maybe pick up a bottle, you know, get, get crazy with it. You know, a real melee, a real brawl. Like, who volunteers for that? I'll tell you who volunteers, ladies and gentlemen, shortly. So Cam Newton, at this point, now has one person by the dreads. He's swinging him around like a rag doll. There is another young man who... In the second edition of the video that I saw, ran up and jumped like super punched Cam, like with all of his might. I kid y'all not, it sounded like the man hit his fist on a brick wall. Cam Newton didn't move. Like there is an extended version to this video. This, this is like the 23 second version that hit the net where you see Cam snatching people and then they tumble down and then they get on like some fenced in grassy enclosure where he is just jostling what would seem to be toddlers, but are actually grown men getting thrown to and fro. Right. The extended version precedes all of that, where a young man runs up on cam and jump punches him. And cam is busy manhandling two of his friends and cam doesn't bat an eye, doesn't blink. So these young men's plan were foiled from the get-go, from the jump, right? After the beating takes place, where Cam disperses of these gentlemen, 
this is the point in the culture and the the generation that we're in right now that that, that just bothers me. So, you know, you you don't have to pick up your phone in every moment. If you're the crew that just tried to jump Cam Newton and thought you got it off, go ahead and be that crew. Because I'm sure people are looking for you, (laughs) not only at that event, but around the Atlanta metro area. I'm sure, you know, there are certain people. I was having this discussion with my lady the other day. I think it was yesterday. Might have been vibing. You know, I went off on one of my tangents. I was like, you know, after a certain age, if you've done the right things in life, you don't have to fight. Now, a fight might present itself to you. But if you've done the right things in life, you're not going to be, you know, dealing in those things. You know, you let the, you let the garbage men handle the garbage. <laughs> you know? Y'all know what I'm saying out there. Certain people just, nah. We taken care of. We protected over here. Why would why would I have to do that? I have ready and willing applicants who are on standby who just love doing things like that. I'm sure Cam Newton has those people in his life. So what these young gentlemen did, which is um I think um a problem in today's day and age with a lot of these youngsters and grown-ups alike. There's a video going around with a young man who apparently is drinking his own blood. That's how much of it was was spewing out of his mouth and face. Uh, He had an earpiece in that was covered in blood, so much so that people thought his ear was squirting blood out of it. This young man turned his iPhone on, went to his Instagram app, hit the plus button and said, no, 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 not a post, not a story. I'm going live. He presses the live button while gargling his own blood um, and says into the camera how much money he got out of Cam Newton's pocket during the scuffle and during the melee. Folks, when I tell you, when I tell you we are doomed as a people, you know, if it's not what they're putting in the water, it's what we are allowing ourselves to become. I got to tell you, the, the, the $100, $150, that you might have gotten out of Cam Newton's pocket, that's only a donation to the dental work that seemingly you will be needing as soon as you end this IG Live. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get where we're at as a, as, a, as a sporting society, as a people, as a community. And I'm not talking about black folks. I'm talking about the world, goddammit, because there's a lot of weirdo shit that I see all over the internet that I'm like, you know what? This, how, how, what kind of simulation am I living in? We jumping Cam Newton at seven on seven events? <laughs> like, what can Cam Newton say? And this is the other thing, y'all. Before you even get to that point, do you think... A motherfucker who dresses like Cam Newton and who types Instagram captions and Twitter feed timelines in the font and hieroglyphics that that man does. You think that that dude can't fight? You 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 think that man can't tussle? Bumati Jones put it best. Hey, we saw Adam Pac-Man Jones fight in the Atlanta airport and not drop his Popeyes. We saw Cam Newton get jumped by four gentlemen and his hat 
never not fuck touching the ground it never tilted on his head it was never out of place both from Westlake Georgia by the way oh thank you for reminding me about this Kyle Cam Newton fought Josh Norman and like a serial killer the entire time smiled did this TSP organization not get this footage? Did they not have YouTube? So public service announcement, y'all. If you're having a problem with a professional athlete, understand that they may weight classes for a reason. Okay. You might have to exercise one of your amendments and one of your one of your, your constitutional you know, rights, whatever the case may be, but don't engage in any hand-to-hand combat with any professional athlete, okay? I know a lot of y'all think y'all are tough guys out there. You're not. You're not. There are certain muscles <laughs> that have been firing quicker on their bodies that are have laid dormant for 40 some odd years in yours. Just just take it off. You know what I mean? Just take that take that altercation off, you know? We can opt out of a lot of things, right? Opt out of those things. And if it Somehow, some way, this was involving a young lady, right? Whether it be someone pitching woo to your girl or something being said flagrantly or with disrespect intended. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Now's a great time to start sizing up futures <laughs> and what your future interactions will be. And I want to tell you this. If you are with a young lady who, who, who you think is worth getting your ass whooped by Cam Newton for, then good luck to you and that queen. Because <laughs> there are certain moments when you have to know that you share that girl. And if Cam Newton is coming between me and my good day and vision and health tomorrow and apparently dental work. Nah, nah, shorty. <laughs> Valentine's Day is over. It seems like the time for me to let you run free. (laughs) Nah, not going to happen. I'm not getting beat up by Cam Newton with three of my friends while we're all wearing our uniforms. Right? They all have their company shirts on while getting their ass tossed around. Uh, You know what it is? It's, It's me in the jumpy house with toddlers. You know? You blow up a jumpy house, know that any kids that you invite, they're going to be in there having a good time, but there's also going to be me in there wrecking shop, just taking out everything on your kids, just throwing them against inflatable walls, power bombing them in damn near into the grass. But, you know, they got the little cushion in the jumpy house so that, you know, the little necks don't break. That's that's what those dudes signed up for just to run up on Cam Newton for some clout. So enjoy yourselves, Cloud Demons. We had ourselves a good time watching you turn on IG Live with a mouthful of blood, extolling the virtues of now having $150 in your pocket and now having also a a large bounty probably on your head in the city of Atlanta. I hope it was worth it. (laughs) Whatever it was, whether it's she, he, money, clout, whatever the case may be. But for everybody else out there, public service announcement. Stop fucking with professional athletes. (laughs) It's not going to work out for you. It's Chicago in the house. Let me hear you say yeah. Yo, you listening to the Full Golf Podcast with my man Jason Golf. It's your boy Dave Jeff. Holla at y'all.
Much love. That's all the time we have for episode 357 of the Full Go Podcast. Want to thank our guest, Phil Thompson of the Chicago Tribune. He dropped the actual factuals on us concerning. Bless you, babes. He dropped the actual factuals on us concerning. Chris Chelios' jersey retirement. Of course, Patrick Kane returning as a Detroit Red Wing and Connor Bedard mixing it up with him a little bit. So make sure you continue to read Phil's terrific coverage of the Chicago Blackhawks and so many other things around the city in the Chicago Tribune. Want to thank, of course, our production staff, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the exceptional one, Kyle Williams, the chief vibes officer himself, Chris Sutton, Oh, and the man, the myth, the legend, the dad, the myth, the legend, the guy who manages to slither his way out of any accountability when things go wrong on this pod. He is the great Tony Gill. For the fellas, I'm Jason Goff. Thank you so much for downloading this thing. Thank you for following us on the socials. Appreciate you hitting that subscribe and follow button, sharing it with your family and friends. A lot of people around the gym bringing up the pod. Appreciate y'all. Although I will say this. The steam room. It's an odd place to bring it up. It's an odd, odd place to bring it up. You know, I'm just, just in here trying to rid myself of these toxins, Charles. Okay. Just <laughs> put your towel back over your lap and calm yourself down. Okay. We don't, we don't need to talk about the pod that much. All right. But shout out to everybody out there. Thank you for listening to this thing. We will catch you guys on Tuesday. As always, we leave you with this man. Take care of each other. Be safe and remember to stay sucker free. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. That's 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLING.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 hope ny or text hope ny in new york